Let's pray. Yes, Father, we long for that day when our eyes will behold Christ and we will see his glory. And in the meantime, Father, we want to thank you that you loved us so much that the weak have been made strong, the foolish have been made wise, and those without understanding have been given insight into the very thoughts of God himself through Christ Jesus. And so, our Father, we thank you for your patience with us. And we recognize that at the cross of Calvary, Jesus Christ conquered the enemy. For all time, victory has been won. And he enables us to be more than conquerors through Christ, who gave himself for us. And so, our Father, this morning, you have something to say to us very strategic in that battle that you have called us to. But you have not left us alone, for the Lord Almighty fights for us. The God of greatness is our King and our Captain. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray that our hearts might be encouraged and strengthened. But, Father, I pray that we might not neglect what you teach us today, that we might be doers of the Word of God, put the armor of, full armor of God on, That we might be able to stand in the day of evil. For I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The one thing that makes terrorism and urban warfare so effectively threatening is that you can't see it coming. The enemy has found the ultimate warfare strategy doesn't come dressed in army fatigues. He disappears. You don't notice him. And so you're lulled into complacency and you let your guard down. And that's the strategy of modern urban warfare and terrorism that we're familiar with at a distance to this point. But it could come our way. It's the major modern strategy, by the way, of our spiritual enemy as well. It's what he uses. And unfortunately, we tend to fully cooperate with him. As Rabbi Zacharias writes in his book, Deliver Us from Evil, he points out that the implicit denial of the miraculous and the supernatural to explain human essence and existence has brought our culture to a state of being inhospitable to the teachings of Christ. And so I want to turn your attention this morning to the book of Ephesians. And I want to talk to you for a few moments about the the Ephesus community as it relates and parallels to our own. Ephesus was a... um, a grab bag of spiritualities and multiple gods. It was a a place where um, truth was relegated to relativity. It was a learning center of the ancient world with one of the most amazing libraries of that time, a, a major university center, fundamentally. Not significantly different, frankly, from the, the GTA context. So, 
when we open up the book of Ephesians, we're opening up, for the most part, a book that is very germane to the realities that we face. And I want to take you uh, on a little bit of a tour this morning in that book and, and settle in the last chapter, but with respect to this urban terrorism and warfare that the enemy of our souls exerts upon us, we realize that while Satan finds new ways to blend into the landscape and horizon, the truth is that the battle plan and the conflict has not changed. Salvation is a hotly contested battle. As well, our sanctification or our growth through God is also continually at conflict. If life seems to you like it is... um, constantly a battle, it's because it is. In fact, we want to begin this morning by asking the question, why is life so, for the Christian so hard? And the fundamental bottom line is the blessings that we are receiving from the heavenly realms are contested in those same heavenly realms. If your Bibles are open to Ephesians chapter 1, you'll notice that in verse 3 it says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms. At the end of his letter, the Apostle Paul warns about where, in fact, the the battle lines are drawn. He says in verse 12 of chapter 6, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil. Where? In the heavenly realms, in that same place. The blessings we're receiving are being contested in those same heavenly realms. We both have an always enemy attempting to interfere with the spiritual blessings that God wants us to to benefit from. And at times when we read through the book of Ephesians, we are the enemy. By cooperating through disobedience to the word of God in all that the enemy wants to accomplish. Now, I want to bring you some good news this morning because I know that over the last couple of weeks it's been a little bit heavy, a little bit challenging on this whole battle warfare and the realities of satanic uh, challenges and oppression and and attack in our lives. But but I have some really good news at the outset of this sermon this morning. I want to tell you uh, about a report from the front lines that we get in from the book of Ephesians. The, The battle, by the way, is sourced in the purpose of God. Never lose sight of this. God is replacing the heavenly realms with people redeemed from earthly places. And I want you to see how this works. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, it says this, And His, meaning God, is incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of His mighty strength, which He exerted in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand, where? In those heavenly realms, the same place, far above all rule. Don't miss the power of this statement. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything 
in every way. God is contesting the dominion of those heavenly realms. And the first, uh, his first uh, work is to raise his son, the redemptive price of our salvation, who has now taken authority of, of the heavenly battle zone on our behalf. Now, follow along with me. More information about the battle lines or the front lines. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, it says this, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in where? The heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And now we're going to follow along and see where that... Uh, that uh, grace is demonstrated, but first of all, you need to know that, that we have been raised also with Christ. Do you realize that he has taken us into his victory team as well in those heavenly realms? And we are not sputtering around here as, as those who are wayward and lost and trying to make it on our own strength. Christ who has been raised above all authorities and powers and principalities, which is, by the way, the language that Paul uses at the end of Ephesians in chapter 6 to describe the demonic hordes. He says, we have been raised up with him in this victory team as well. We are on the victory team in the front lines. And then in chapter 3, he tells us another amazing piece of information. In verse 10, his intent, again God, was that now, through the church, through you, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged uh, of my sufferings for you, which are your glory, or, in fact, the sufferings that you may be going through while this battle is being contested. Not only has Christ been raised to the uh, heavenly realms, uh, given authority over all powers and principalities, he has raised us up to be on that victory team, but he is declaring mission accomplished. And he is proclaiming that through the church of Jesus Christ. When we gather like this, we are not alone. What this tells us is there is an invisible reality in another plane, another dimension that is peering in and watching the proceedings of the Opportunities to come together and praise our great God and worship Him and to proclaim His truth. And this invisible force is watching us, both the angelic force that long to gather and praise Christ and enjoy the praises of God's people, but there is an enemy that gathers as well. And it is in those gathering times that and that Jesus proclaims, that the Father proclaims his mission accomplished and, 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 and literally uses us to embarrass the demonic hordes that oppose the church and the purposes of God by God the Father being able to say, look at these people. They are exhibit A of the manifold wisdom of God who was able to marry both justice 
and mercy at the cross of Jesus Christ and raise up by His grace through faith people who were formerly weak, people who were formerly dead in their trespasses and sins, people who were formerly foolish, and raise them up to a great company of people who sing and proclaim the praises of God through Jesus Christ. This is our purpose. This is what we do. This is how we, how we demonstrate the greatness of God. God wasn't only just, but he was also merciful at the cross of Calvary. In his justice, he had, got, he had Christ pay the price of our sinfulness. But in his mercy, he reached down and received us, not because of anything good in us, but because of the grace of God who loved us and Christ who gave himself up for us. And that message is proclaimed through the church. Mission accomplished. The place and position that Satan wanted and wants the heavenly realms and authority is not available to him. It never will be available to him. So the question that must surely cross your mind this morning is why does he keep fighting then? Why are we in this battle? Why the conflict? Why is Satan fighting this losing battle? I have an attempted answer for you. It is because he succeeds in small victories we give him. That's the sad reality. And by the way, from the look of the landscape of our current culture here in Canada, the small victories, when added together, are making a big impact. Our country is the collective product of the individual defeats of God's people. Our drift from morality and the things that bring honor and glory to God as a nation are aided and abetted through the the defeats that we give Satan, making our country and our culture and the GTA a place that's inhospitable to Christianity due to our compromise with the truth. So why does Satan keep fighting? Because he keeps getting these victories that we give him. Not because we aren't able to win or be victorious, but because we fail our great God. Now, I want to um, take a survey look this morning at uh, Ephesians chapter 6, the text that helps us with spiritual warfare, and, and help you through a question of what is Satan and his forces up to? What, what's he trying to accomplish? And It occurred to me as I looked at this all over again and attempted to look at it in fresh eyes because most of us have seen this particular text and have heard sermons on it many times. But but as I got looking at it, I thought, you know, the significance of what God has done here for us in his word, because he is omnipotent, is to tell us or to give us an insight into the invisible strategy of the evil one. You think about it. God has given us a, a, a listing, a catalog listing of the, uh, the requirements that we're going to need for spiritual warfare. Well, the, the reason that he has done that is because he has, in fact, told us in advance what Satan's going to try to do. And therefore, these are the things that you're going to need to be victorious. 
So I would submit to you that, 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 that this is um, a, a position, this, this text of Scripture fundamentally addresses everything that you're going to need to be victorious in this spiritual battle. So when we look at what Satan is up to, I, I want to work you through the text a little bit, but first of all, we'll read it together, and then I'm going to make some commentary. Verse 10 of chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor, repeated, of God, so that when the day of evil comes, not if, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. This is the word of God to us. This is a power-packed piece of scripture that will enable you to be people who are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. So what is Satan up to? What is he trying to do on the basis of what the insights that were given into the world of the invisible right here? Well, it says, first of all, that he has schemes. Notice in verse 11. Put on the armor so you can stand against the devil's schemes. He's got a plan. He has a game plan. This word schemes, of course, translated from the original language, is often translated into the word method or methodology. He's not so out there random willy-nilly. He, he actually has a game plan and a strategy that is tailor-made for you. Remember, I shared with you a couple of weeks ago that, that, that uh, the demonic uh, uh, forces of, of Satan are watching you. They're watching what you watch. They're listening to what you say. They're paying attention to the people you hang out with. They're looking at what you read. It it gives them insight into how to plan, scheme against your life. And the the, the plan, of course, is uh, quite simple. As um, Michael Green writes in his book, the tempter seeks to embroil man in the same alienation from God which he has willingly chosen himself. And that reality is that he wants to keep lost people lost and saved people stunted. That's the basic plan. And he has a plan and a scheme in mind. And by the way, if you think that you can change geography and it'll help you to get away from his scheme or his plan, you need to think again. I mean, often you hear people say, I just got to get out of this setting. I got to go move to some other place. and Maybe it'll be a lot easier for me. I'm telling you that that, that Satan's immune to your geographical shift because he's got a plan in place for whatever setting you happen to be in. 
He's had several thousands of years and his, his, his forces to, to watch human nature and understand how to function. Now, I'm not saying that, that there might not be settings that are, that are leading you into evil or mischief that, that would be better for you to get out of. I mean, that's not what I'm talking about. But I'm saying if you think that you can find some place of immunity where the conflict's not going to take place. That's just not true. He's, he's got a plan. He's got scheming. He, he's devising things. Now, um, as I look down here, I notice as well in, in verse uh, 12 that uh, it says here, uh, you need to realize this battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. People are the instrument but we're talking about battling at the source. There is no place, there's no sense in us uh, lining up our major battle arsenal at the symptoms of evil. This spiritual warfare challenge for you is to battle right at the level of the source. In the heavenly realms where you've been raised with Christ. That's the place of the battle. And he says here that... That uh, it's against rulers and authorities, somehow this structured system of evil, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil. You're not just facing one. You're facing an army. You're facing an evil, manipulative, behind-the-scenes army. That's why, in fact, the secular human being, the lost person, is, is in fact like a, a dumb animal being led to the slaughter with this forces of evil arrayed against him or her. These same forces are arrayed against you. That tells me something. I, I can't take this thing on in my own strength. I, I, I'm not a match for a, a force of evil. But not only are there forces of evil, it says here that in verse 13 that you need to understand that, that there's a day of evil coming to you. You say, I've faced many of those, and you probably have. It's not if, it's when. You see, you have to be prepared because the day of evil is coming to you. It's an intentional attack moment. That's why the, the devil is described as a, a lion who prowls around. I said to you, he's watching, he's looking. He's looking for a, a, a door to just be open slightly in your life. Just a little ajar. So you can stick the big ugly foot in there and get a foothold into your life. And there's a day of evil coming. Whether it's a, a job loss or a child dies or a, a sickness hits or, or a marriage betrayal. And bang, that's it. That's the day of evil. It's the attack moment. It's the moment he'll use. And then in verse 16, it tells us that um, he has weapons too. He fires flaming arrows. He has an attack arsenal. Now, flaming arrows in ancient military stra strategy and tactic were to distract, to cause fear. I mean, think about it. Incoming flaming arrows and you lived in wooden structures. That's a scary reality. Not only is the arrow dangerous, but the fire it brings is. And it was meant to land and, and cause you to be distracted and have to put this fire out and you're putting that fire out and, and the enemy in the meantime is, is coming upon you and there's this onslaught 
And the design here is so that God's people get the idea, man, we can't do this ourselves. This is, this is, this is trouble stuff. I can't rely on my own strength. I'm in a serious war here. That's the design of, uh, of to try and wake us up and to shake us into vigilance. You can't go out any day of your life without the armor of God, the full armor of God. And then he lays out for us a seven-point attack strategy. That's just a description. Now there's a seven-point attack strategy. Well, some people would say it's just a six-point attack strategy, but... But I think prayer is one of the, the big weapons in the arsenal here. So I'm, I'm going with the seven-point attack strategy. Some commentaries notwithstanding. And I think seven's more of a biblical number anyway. Come on. Don't you buy that? I mean, come on. If, if the Apostle Paul, Mr. Bible, what do you think he's going to be doing? He's, writing the, he's going to write seven. He's going to give us seven things. And so it's a, it's a seven-point attack strategy. And by the way, any one of those, if you, any one of these, if you let down, are going to weaken you. This is not a pick-and-choose grab bag. You say, well, I might be okay with that one. I'm not going to play a big deal on that one. No, no. This is, you've got to have seven or you're losing. This is an all-or-nothing kind of thing. So this is a seven-point attack strategy that the uh, thief is trying to steal and kill and destroy. And uh, by the way, he can obstruct our blessings if he can attract our disobedience. Because the blessing reality here that's granted to us in every spiritual blessing in chapter 1, which is to be the, the, the encouragement upon the church, is uh, predicated upon your obedience. Okay? The benefit of the blessings of God are based upon your obedience to God. If he can attract us to be disobedient, he can interrupt, thwart in the heavenly realms the blessings that should be yours. Now, the first is the truth buckled here. It says in, in verse 14, uh, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled. You know what this first attack strategy, he wants to, he wants to get us to become soft on truth. You know, the, the, the belt buckle, is, it's supposed to be buckled up. God's truth rightly placed. There's a, there's a place for a belt. It buckles around the middle of you and it, it holds things in and makes you look buff. And you, can, you know, you're going to hang things on it. It's got to be there. You've you got to have this, this truth. That it's got to be, the belt's got to be buckled and in place and, and fixed. Because Satan's attempt is at lies and shading God's truth and, and getting you to hesitate on, the, uh, uh, on obeying God's word, to stand there and go, hmm. Uh, that's what Satan's after. He, he wants to... He wants to uh, do some contextual mischief with respect to the Word of God. Pull things out of context and, 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 and use it against you or, or twist the truth. So it's about, first of all, his strategy is about going after truth. His second strategy that's found in the same verse is, is with respect to righteousness. He says that you need to have the breastplate of righteousness, again, in place. Not just know about righteousness... Not just see righteousness or read about it, but have that righteousness in place in your life. Now, uh, it's putting on the breastplate. It's, by the way, what, what in, the, in the ancient uh, 
the, the ancient cultists back in Exodus chapter 28. You can read some things there, verse 15 and forward. In the sacred context, the, the high priest was, was given a, a symbolic breastplate to wear. And that breastplate was symbolic of the fact that his responsibility was to be leader in justice and righteousness among God's people. And it was a high honor to be given that breastplate to wear, symbolic of your responsibility. That high honor of walking in God's right ways. And it was a great dignity and the responsibility. It was to the king or the high priest or even an elder at the gate. It was an issue of rank to ensure that righteousness was established among God's people. Now, by the way, what's really cool about this is he is inviting us, all of us, every Christian, to enjoy the rank of a high priest, to put on that breastplate and be responsible as a witness and a testimony to our world of the justice and righteousness of God, Christian by Christian. It's an amazing thing. When you are brought into salvation, you are immediately given rank in the army of God. You come in as officers of the army of God. And how sad it is for the Christian who would take off that breastplate and live in the wrong way and live immorally and in effect take their stripes off and say, I'm not going to live with the rank that I've been given by God. It's an amazing thing. And this is what Satan is after in your life. He wants to tear that off you. It also says in that verse 15 that, that Satan's after the issue of God, the gospel, the gospel of peace. In fact, good news readiness or preparation. Uh, that, that our message is, people, you can have peace with God. That's, a, that's our message every day of our lives as we go to our, our office or our school or our store or... Or, or our factory, or, or wherever we are. We are good news people. And we are to come in each day with a readiness of good news. Satan wants to destroy that. He wants you to come in as, 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 and not bring uh, the knowledge that, that people can have peace with God. He doesn't want people to have peace with God. They're all standing around the water cooler talking about bad news that they read in the newspaper or heard on CNN the night before. It sets us as distinctively apart because we are good news people. We are good news ready people at, at all times. And, and Satan wants none of that. He wants to keep that away from people. He wants people to be living in bad news. It says in verse 16 that we, we have this shield. In other words, we have to have active faith. This is a, a, to, to withstand the uh, fiery darts. Uh, believing that God can be trusted. You know what he wants to whisper in your ear? You know, you've heard it. God, God doesn't love you. God can't help you. You know this situation you're in right now? It's way too hard for God. He's not going to help you. He can't help you. And so he wants to undermine our faith in God, our trust in God. If you do what God says, you will get what God says. That's the truth. You will get what God has promised to you. And, and if you don't believe that, if your faith wavers, you'll start relying on yourself. That's what Satan wants. It also now says in verse 17 that we're supposed to put on the helmet of salvation. It's to be a fixed salvation. Security in the grace that has brought you salvation. 
that you're confident and you know that God has saved you and you're standing on the rock Christ Jesus, Satan wants to whisper in your ear, every time you do something that isn't pleasing to God, that's because you're not really saved. That's because you don't really have salvation. That's because God really can't keep you. He wants to keep whispering that in your ear. That's his attack strategy. He also wants to, um, in verse 17, uh, tamper with the issue of the word of God in your life. He's he's fine with you reading the word of God as long as you don't do it. He's happy with you if you're just a mirror Christian. You just gaze in the mirror day after day of God's word. Look at how you are and the condition you're in and you just walk away and stay the same way next day. You come back, you look in the mirror and you look no different the next day. Satan's fine with that. Read all you want. As long as you're not a doer of the word of God. And then finally, he wants to damage your prayer life. Because prayer is where we put our trust and faith into action. You really believe this stuff? You really believe what God says? You really believe that it matters that you talk to God? He wants to wreck your prayer life. He wants to... um, tell you after day 15 that you've been praying for the same thing, stop. Why don't you just give up? God's not going to answer your prayer. God's not going to help you. All you have to do is turn to Daniel chapter 10 and start reading there, and you realize that Daniel, he was praying for 21 days. What if he had given up on day 20? Some of you have been praying a lot longer than 21 days. You've been praying for 35 years for a wayward child or a lost parent. You know what Satan wants to whisper in your ear? Why don't you just stop? Why don't you just give up? Prayer doesn't do anything. That's his arsenal. That's his seven-point plan. In the omnipotence of God, he has given us an all-encompassing look at what Satan wants to do. It's pretty, pretty daunting. But he doesn't leave us there. He tells us that you can deal with this. You've been, you've been given an opportunity to live big. In a spiritual combat strategy? I suspect some of you out there this, this morning saying, why doesn't God just obliterate Satan? I got a combat strategy. Just get rid of Satan. Why does he do that? You know, thinking that? No, because you're all too spiritual for that. You don't, question, you don't question God, do you? The first service did, but you don't. I can't really fully answer that question other than to say this. I fully believe with all of my heart that God is, that God believes that he will receive more glory and you will receive more joy by allowing this spiritual conflict to continue. Because that's how he runs his universe. It's all about the glory of God. And he has demonstrated that he is so brilliant and so amazing that even in horrible situations, God can get glory for himself. That's an amazing thing that he wants to teach us. That's all part of embarrassing the demonic horde. Every time we come in here and praise God with all of our hearts, in the midst of our suffering, it's one more time where God gets glory to himself and the demons are like, I can't believe this. How come these people are joyful? How come they're happy? How come they're trusting in God? How come they're staying with their faith? How come they're relying on God? They shouldn't be. 
And there again, the manifold wisdom of God is put on display for all the universe and all the principalities and powers and hordes. And Satan is thwarted all over again. And our God is glorified in that. And we are made joyful. So he keeps it the way it is. But how do I protect my family in the meantime? He's given us a great strategy here. This is, by the way, how the Son of God is destroying the works of the devil. 1 John 3.8. Every so often, of course, there needs to be some dramatic exorcism or the casting out of demons in spiritual warfare. But frankly, ladies and gentlemen, this is the bread and butter of spiritual warfare. This is what mostly should be done. Because the casting out of demons or exorcism is fundamentally changing demonic geography. This is a defeat strategy. And this is what we are fundamentally called to be engaged in. This is the call of joining in on how the Son of God is defeating the works of the devil. Let me just quickly complete this whole live big spiritual program on um, this spiritual warfare reality. He says here, be strong, first of all. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. You are, not, you are not strong enough in yourself. You know this. But just in case you didn't, Paul is reminding us all over again, this is about the strength of the Lord. This is about depending on Him. And by the way, uh, throughout the Old Testament, we get this uh, description of God as the Lord Almighty or God Almighty. Do you know what the Almighty is a reference to? It's really the Lord of the heavenly hosts. The God of the angel armies. He is powerful in this army that he has. Our God, of course, doesn't need the army to be powerful, but he's just telling us in, con- in contrast to this forces of evil, you better know this, that our God has, a for- has forces of good in the angel armies. Do you remember the story back in the Old Testament in, in uh, 2 Kings chapter 6, the story with Elisha and the the, the battle of the uh, uh, Israelites and the Arameans. And, and uh, they were concerned because the, the Arameans had surrounded the Israelites with this great battle, uh, uh, battle host. And, and, um, and Elisha prays. And you remember what he prays? He prays this in verse 16. Those who, I pray, Lord, that you would open up the eyes of them that they might see that those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Never, ever think that God is outnumbered by the satanic horde. He is never outnumbered. So be strong in the power of God. He is with you. And then it says, of course, in order... Here's how you get strength. He says, so put on the full armor of God. You've got to dress yourself in Christ's garments. We aren't going to take the time this morning, but if you were to turn to Isaiah... Uh, chapter 59, verses 14 through 17, you'd realize that there it talks about God having already donned this armor himself. And and the amazing thing is, of course, that's a a messianic prophecy of the fact that Christ would be the, the, the spiritual warrior who would defeat the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms with this armor on. And the amazing thing is that when you come to know Christ... What happens? Christ moves into your life armed. So this is not about external uh, armor that you put on. This is about the original 
Under Armour. Are any of you on our, know about the athletic gear, the athletic wear that, that people have, and they called Under Armour? I've got to tell you, this came right from Ephesians chapter 6. This is the first real Under Armour. And, and so this, the invitation here is you realize that this is God-tested and tried stuff. You know, those of you who have strollers or cribs or helmets or whatever, you got these stickers on them, they're approved, uh, Canadian safety standards approved and all that kind of stuff, tried and tested kind of stuff. Well, you need to know that the Christian life, becoming a Christian, you get this armor that is God-tested and tried. How's that for a sticker? How's that for one that uh, is going to stand up in the day uh, of evil when it, when it comes upon you? But, but know this, that God, of course, is the, the ultimate cause and effect of all that, that is accomplished in spiritual warfare. But he expects us to put effort into it. This is our effort part. That he's going to talk to us about now. The battle's over your head. You've got to put on this, this armor. And, and then he says that, that, that you put this armor on so, first of all, that you can stand. Three times. In the text, it tells us, stand. Verse 11, verse 13, verse 14. In your translation, it probably looks like four times, but, but original language, is there's three stands. It's enough anyway. It's clearly to get the point across that you need to stand. Now, why is it important to stand in battle? Obviously, there's a danger of falling. And no one wants to be in a fallen position when battle arrives. That's... That's a really vulnerable place to be. Whether you're playing sports or whatever you're doing, you don't want to be on the ground. You don't want to be down. So so this this tactic, this strategy is about standing and being able to stand when the battle of the onslaught comes to you that you would be able to stand. And, And the first area of stand is in the area of truth. You know what I said? It's that that belt buckle. Verse... um, 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 Verse 13, verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth, that the truth is, is buckled, belted around you, holds everything together, holds other necessary things. Now, I just want to take a pause for a second and, and, and talk uh, you know, in a, about the contemporary Christian scene in this whole matter of truth. Uh, one of Satan's, I think one of Satan's uh, masterpieces right now, strategy, is with respect to the area of truth. And if you notice, what we're hearing around ourselves is not the word truth anymore, but the word faith. And mostly talking about people of faith. And the invitation is that there's a smorgasbord of faith, and there's a bunch of peoples of faith, and that we should be cooperating in uh, all of kinds of things in terms of, uh, of uh, peoples of faith coming together and, and, and joining Well, I can tell you that that implies that there is a smorgasbord of truth. That we can all gather together and and symbolically join with one another. And i got to tell you that that, that the Christian cross can't stand with any other faiths at all. It can't appear on logos together. It can't appear on advertising together. It can't appear together because we are people of faith truth. Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth. There's only one truth stream. Now, I want to quickly say to you that there are occasions 
when we join together for some sort of moral initiative that, that, is, that is pleasing to God, the God we know, and sometimes we, we do some small joint venture to honor God through, with, with, for morality together with people of other faiths. But we are never just one of a, a plethora of faiths. We are people of truth. That's what it means to have the belt buckled in place, in its rightful place. It's, that's it. Christianity is it. There are no other truths. Jesus is truth. It's a one-stream journey. It's the way you choose life. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, when you exchange truth or you suppress truth, you take yourself into a vortex of depravity. Truth frees you. Suppressing or exchanging truth or compromising truth or watering down truth destroys you. And so this uh, standing requires truth. Standing requires righteousness by faith in God's strength for his glory. We are called instruments of righteousness. It's very simple. You defeat Satan by doing right things. Is that hard? Yes, it is. By living morally, by obeying God, by doing righteousness, you are standing firm so that when the day of evil comes, you are belted with truth and you have the breastplate of righteousness on. You are therefore walking in right ways. You're not an easy target. And thirdly, it says here that you're good news ready. Blessed are the feet of those who bring good news or good tidings. How, how beautiful are the feet of those. We, we are called to be people who are bringers of good news. John Piper writes, giving the gospel away is one of the best ways of experiencing its power in your own life. For me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. Uh, that's the basic reality of the world. Those are, the, those are the, of life. Those are the two realities. And, and God has it totally covered for me. It doesn't matter where I go, what setting I'm in, who I'm with. God has it covered for me. I, I, I'm a good news person. Uh, We've got to hurry now. Uh, and and uh, so I'll, I'll work through these next ones. It says here, and, and in verse 13, after you've done everything, uh, take up arms. What's that mean? Take up the arms of faith. Trusting God. The darts that are aimed at you don't have to kill you. The darts of anger and fear and loneliness and grief and worry and regret and guilt all can be faced by what you know about the promises of God and you can ward off those darts. You're to, be, um, you're to have the helmet of salvation. You're to put that helmet on. And, and, and what does that really mean? Well... Um, Professional quarterbacks, when they put their helmet on, they hear voices in their helmets. You know that? They hear the voices of the coach. And that coach is telling them that this game plan is a winning plan. And you just got to execute the plan. And you're going to win this thing. And you're going to be safe. And, 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 and the voices that he's hearing in his head. And, and that's really, I think, what the helmet of salvation is all about. Put this helmet on and listen to the word of God. Listen to the voices of your shepherd. And this is the will of God, uh, of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. 
Again, he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. Do you realize that? This eternal life that we've been given, this message that should be in our ears as we put our helmet on, hearing it from our shepherd, the voice that we hear is, you are saved and you are safe. And you are mine. And I haven't given you a temporary salvation or an occasional salvation or one that you can lose because you have sinned today. But this is a salvation I've granted you for eternity. That's the confidence we have when Satan comes whispering in our ears. We don't listen to the thief. We also have the word of God. The word slashes lies like ribbons. That's how you fight back truth. Or how you fight, you fight back with truth. By fighting the lies with truth. Important part of the battle. The battle's for your mind. To produce panic. And you've got to have the word of God. You need to know the word of God. You need to place yourselves in the teaching of the word of God. You need to feed yourself the word of God. You need to memorize the word of God. Because sometimes the day of evil shows up when you don't have your Bible with you. You're going to need the word of God at that moment to to, to fend off with a sword, slash those lies to ribbons. And then finally, this whole essence of prayer. Five times it's mentioned. I guess it's important. When the word pray shows up five times, I guess Jesus figures it's an important weapon. That's That's how we, in fact, call for reinforcements. The weapon that calls the other weapons to work is our prayer to God. I'll conclude with this. We'll wrap it up. And Pastor Steve, we're going to sing this song because we need to sing it. But I'll conclude it with this. I've learned a lot about prayer, most recently, I think, through modern communicative technology, i.e. cell phones, and even more specifically, text messages. And more specifically than that, text messages from Bronwyn. I get regular text messages from Bronwyn on the cutting edge of her life, on the front lines of her life. Dad, I have a test. You, you fathers, I, I'm with you guys, and I hear them going off. I, I know they're your girls, and, and uh, they're not your sons. I know that, because they don't do that. And Because uh, and, uh, you're not getting anything from the sons, and we'll talk about that in a second. But the girls, you've got to have a girl, because there's no point in even having a cell phone if you don't have a girl. And... and, and uh, and she's texting you all the time, and it's coming through. Dad, I got a, I got a test at 4 o'clock. Will you pray? And I text back just two letters. Okay. Bang. Send it back. That's about all I can do with it. And anyway, it goes back. And, and, and then she'll text me, Dad, at no- it's noontime. Dad, I, I got an audition at 5 o'clock. Please pray for me. Okay, Brian, I'll pray for you. At 4.45, I get another text. Dad, I'm standing waiting. It's like five minutes before. Will you please pray for me? Well, I already promised. But yes, I'll pray for you, Bronwyn. And, and, you know, I fully believe that that is exactly how God wants us to live in this spiritual battle. Talk to your daddy. Talk to your father all the time like girls do. They understand it. They get it. That's why I really believe that women have such an active prayer life because they get it. They, they understand the nature of relationship and being together and talking to each other. I've got to tell you what's happening in my life right now. Guys, we've we got to get on to this. I've never got a text message that I can remember from my, any, any of the guys. They just don't send stuff. Prayer is the weapon that God uses 
to make all the other stuff work. So he says, pray all the time. Pray about all things. Pray in all circumstances. Pray for me. If Paul needed to be prayed for, and by the way, I thank you. Many of you have been telling me, oh, we're praying for you, Pastor Rick, especially right now and all this. Thank you. I mean, absolutely. Christ is true to his true humanity in you, Major Ian Thomas writes. When you are covered by his faith, his armor, his life. And you know why? Because he cannot deny himself. And you will win. Our Father, as we sing this song now that, that challenges our hearts about the reality of this fight and whose strength we fight in. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to be more than conquerors in this spiritual battle. And when the day of evil comes, we will have already prepared ourselves that we might not fall. For Jesus' sake, amen. Hear the word of God in closing. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Church, arm yourselves for battle. So that when the day of evil comes, you will take your stand and be more than victors, more than conquerors, through Christ Jesus, who has made the victory possible for you. Praise Him, Christ Jesus, our great Lord and King. Amen. God bless you.